0: i Spaces And welcome to The Ether. Today is Friday, January 13th, 2023. Today on The Ether, Achepe Space, Luna, Lunk, Wen, Moon. Let's take a listen.
1: Like I think I bought AMC like $4 and sold it like, I don't know, 20 some odd bucks or something like that last year. I was in that early on. But anyway, the the point is like those things are really much harder to predict. Um, So those kind of secular trends happen because of people's access to like Robin Hood and all these you know like consumer stock trading apps and things but um but going forward like you're not going to be able to predict those the big secular trends that you're going to compete with crypto should be considered though and i think the reason is like that makes you wonder like you should probably stick with quality crypto projects um i think the days of like picking like ultra small uh, crypto um might be kind of questionable
2: <laughs> but like i if- i, I... I disagree bro and I want to take you back to what you were saying about like the money coming in and where are we going to get the money to pump the markets again like we got countries getting in we got airports accepting shib um uh, do, uh Elon doing his Twitter coins um Trump with his NFTs just went like up a billion x uh there's 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 lots of hope and there's like lots yeah, of stuff yeah. to look forward no, to
1: I'm a, I'm a crypto native as, as, as you might imagine. So like, yeah, you don't have to convince me. I'm just like trying to lay out the, the possible bear cases and that, um, and by the way, like, like my, I think the perfect invention for crypto hasn't been invented yet. I think most of what we're playing with is bullshit compared to the AI version of crypto. So the power of thought ultimately is the final currency, in my opinion, like not what we're doing now. So if when thought becomes currency then ai cycles are all that matters at that point and that's a better use of computational power at the end so i think you're going to have um you're going to have things that haven't emerged yet that that um are going to be the quote-unquote next big thing so yeah but yeah you're right like you can get you can make more on small caps and things when they pop i agree with that but um remember like the number of new coins now and how easy it is to spin up new coins is going to infinity right like just look at um uh ICS is opening interchain security with cosmos um you have luna feather opening in the next week you m- know month or two the ability to produce a new chain is going to be like flipping on a light switch so block space is going to start rising to infinity while the number of possible users buying crypto is not going to rise as quickly is, is my concern there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, there, there's a lot of negative like vectors as well, and they, they can't be ignored. So um, so like Luna, what Luna Feather is going to be doing is going to be bringing value to the Luna coin by making it easy for you to spin up parallel chains within minutes. Like just like lay people can go and spin one up almost like that easy. Yeah. Uh, so that's a big that's a big shift. Right yeah man anyway, so, so a lot of a lot of things are happening that um that are both uh, i would say simultaneously bullish and bearish there's always there's always both sides of these things
2: that's uh, how you got to be yeah like
1: the the like people always accuse you of shillers that if they ha- if they haven't been hanging around on like activities like this and heard the bearish versions of your take and like oh you shilled luna and blah 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 i'm like okay um you know like, but uh usually we do cover like different uh, different sides of it, so anyway, yeah eight o eight you had your hand up
3: hello, sophie hello, everybody uh on the speaker panel Definitely. and listening how are you doing, Sophie today?
1: great, just having my coffee and chilling what's up? um
3: I came to kind of um ask a question about a a agora discussion I put up today um this is mainly for the luna classic um so i would just
1: like to hear your opinion kind of, on it and um the idea give give us the give us the short version of it like what's what's happening right what are you trying to get so
3: let me just get to the part where it's explained in short so the idea was to have a liquidity pool token for lunk and ust and send that over to the burn wallet
1: Mm, okay, so like the the proof of value is that real cash had to come in and be burned to generate value for the LP token. Okay, I see it. Um, it might be a it might be a workable thing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how popular it would be, but like it might work. It, it might work technically. Do you mind if I like pin it up the nest so for people that already? Yeah, thank sure. you very much. That's fine. Yeah, for people to review, like what the yeah, um, yeah that that is an issue. By the way, um, how to bring that's another thing, lifer, to bear in mind. Like one thing over the last two years, like the last three years in crypto, that happened was your Uniswaps and your um and your sushi swaps and all the other different ways that people started um, earning money or earning yield for supplying liquidity. And a lot of that was through like yield-bearing you like yield bearing shit coins like sushi and things like that that were super inflationary. And I think the appetite for that from at an institutional level at this point is probably severely diminished. So one thing to be aware of now is like just liquidity generally, especially exit liquidity is going to be harder to come by. And what 808 is talking about here is like mm, incentivizing uh, liquidity a bit differently, which I think is gonna need to be done. I was thinking of something very similar 808 um, in my mind, as far as like, I was kind of designing a new chain idea and um, somewhat along the lines of what you're talking about, where you would really like, you'd need to provide a sort of proof of value, but the way currently um, LP providers um like are taking such a crazy amount of risk for a relatively low reward um is a problem and I think it's going to be a real big problem going forward I think for the last few years it was a fun experiment and everyone went crazy with it I don't know if these amms with these these liquidity strategies and like yield bearing you know tokens these high inflationary yield-bearing tokens are gonna work long run um so I think your ideas should are worth that uh, his ideas are worth um like looking into and and seeing what he's talking about
3: Well, I put I put a lot um, of time to be honest in it and to be honest with you the main reason why I really wanted to kind of come up here and put this out there is to kind of brainstorm on it and maybe if we can come up with even a better like business model structure for it um, because considering how low our liquidity on chain is it's you know not really interesting for traders to even uh, swap because the spread is too high so your slippage is is too high and i mean in the future when when you know we get more traction i believe and you know um, the attention shifts more from cfi to defi um more and more sandwich attacks will occur and you know i think having a deep um order book uh, a good liquidity will prevent, you know, retail investors getting crushed by smart contracts.
1: Yeah, there's there's other competitors coming too. Um, it, within the cosmos, you have, uh, say, Network and DYDX and people building uh, of like order book systems. and They're trying to attract a lot of uh, market maker liquidity to those systems, which it's a difficult problem. Uh, Xerox years does a good job describing the problem since he's in that space. But basically the issue is like it's hard to attract liquidity. Uh and it's hard to attract users when you have insufficient liquidity and slippage, like you said. So you, you have this problem where generating enough um sort of this flywheel effect to benefit all the necessary parties to pull in lots of capital has been very tricky. Um like Prism did some interesting things on Luna with like gamifying some of that. Um, and we're experimenting with some different LP ideas before the Luna crash, but yeah, like there's, uh, some new models to incentivize liquidity providers and, um, I don't know, like re- redesigning the sort of like the way AMMs incentivize liquidity providers is going to have to happen. Um, I don't know what the right answer to that is though, man. Like if you think about it, like n- at the end of the day, like during a bear market, a DEX can't make money and during a bull market you get more transactions but you don't really raise the transaction fees necessarily in a bull market to accommodate. So as a business exchanges have always been a dubious like <laughs> business model. Um ultimately this is why like say network and dydx you know realized quite some time ago that in crypto or in trading in general the money is oftentimes made on the leverage positions. Uh, and offering leverage to customers and letting them get wrecked and then like pocketing the difference <laughs> that's where the fees are really generated if you don't have a leverage trading platform um there's never there's not really a great way to make money off of blockchain this is a real problem um so yeah i think all of that um ultimately like yeah burn mechanisms tied to somehow the provision of liquidity does make sense um at a core level. It's sort of how like the Luna UST system worked, right? You burn Luna to create UST. It would be similar to that model um, in, in providing this strategy. So like there's probably the people to talk to or get opinions about it from are some of the people from TFL. Um, let's see who would be a worthy person to ask. Probably someone like Vinny uh, would have some ideas about it. Um, uh, like who else would have, uh... anyway, there's a few people at TFL that like, or people that have worked on Terra that would have a, some pretty good ideas about um how to implement that. I don't know enough about the nuances man to like really critique the thing <laughs> sufficiently enough. Um but I can, I'll I'll try to take a look at it. Fair enough. I yeah, I, I still but,
3: appreciate you though, however, you know, commenting on it and um thank you for kind of redirecting me to someone who I could, you know, potentially have a breakthrough conversation with because I think essentially, you know, if if we can get you know independent you know so sustainable i think that's you know something that we
1: kind of need to think about in um beforehand yeah. I, the the way, the way to think of it is like nobody on this like in the crypto space i think probably you could reasonably say that nobody knows in the crypto space as much about the like about burn mechanisms than terraform labs right cuz like it was the entire basis for luna ust and they're going to be uh, able to tell you the flaws in uh like wh- whatever it is theories that you have they're going to be able to point out whatever the flaws are pretty quickly compared to people who don't like analyze this sort of st- stuff for a living right
3: that makes, so, that makes uh, sense um you know what i'm also excited about i'm not sure if you've seen but there is already decentralized exchanges that are coming with order books with uh perpetual trading in it so I think in the future, if yeah,
1: that's that's exactly what I was mentioning. So, DYDX and Say Network are the two that are coming to Cosmos as an example. Oh, there. Oh, that's there. There are others. Yeah, DYDX is already popular, um, like uh, on Ethereum, and they're they're building on Cosmos because they feel like it's a more efficient blockchain for them to function on. So, they're building a whole new chain specifically for DYDX on Cosmos, on using Cosmos SDK, I should say.
3: That's actually really nice. Uh, And I've heard about DYDX. And what was the other
1: one? Uh, SEI Network, S-E-I Network. Uh, Both of them uh, have quite a bit of well, DYDX is self-funded, I believe, because they are already doing well on other chains or whatever. And SEI Network is a fairly heavily venture-backed thing. And I know Xerox is their project. His project um, is going to be one of the ones opening on, say, network. So he has some ideas. So, um, yeah, these are the two big order book based platforms coming. Uh, And then the other platform, the modular blockchain idea, which is, um, you know, kind of the other like big story or narrative is the Celestia network. And that's the other one coming to Cosmos. Hopefully as these uh, show up. Hopefully uh TerraStation is able to add some of these and Terraform uh TFM.com is going to add Dex ag- Dex aggregation services so that you can trade between like Luna Classic, DYDX, Say Network, whatever you want. Um, so yeah, TerraStation becoming more multi-chain and offering more like coins is gonna be fantastic. So like when TerraStation gets done and you use things like w- when TFM which is Terraform gets, uh, which is a DEX aggregator, gets integrated into um, Terra Station and that's coming out soon, you'll be able to do interesting things like ultimately, like let's say you go to Coinbase and you don't have Luna or Luna Classic there. You have Atom. You can buy Atom there, ship it to Terra Station and you can buy Luna Classic or Luna with it or whatever you want. And that's going to be a really big plus because right now, both Luna Classic and Luna are very limited in terms of Um, like places you can buy it for many different countries. But Atom is everywhere, sort of. So the beauty of that is like, you'll be able to go to and from the Cosmos Atom coin. Like you can even do like gift cards with Atom, for example. And you'll be able to go in and out a lot easier. And um, that was something that Luna UST was working on and almost had like, like like, it's so many products coming out before the crash. It's really sad that that happened because we were really like, we were about to taste financial freedom for like just a second there. It's like having a, the rug pull wasn't the price of the coin. The rug pull was like the destruction of a dream of a system that was really, really cool, right? That was what was, what was great about it. Like, that's the reason why many of us have stuck around. It's the reason why many of the people in the Luna community are like, don't just sit around like blaming Do Quan or whatever. Like really, we believe that this was a very exciting system. And I think some of that energy that Terra- Terraform had with their DEX aggregator and everything, they were just starting out when Luna crashed. They, I was like, involved in some of their beta products or whatever. Their DEX aggregator is going to be incorporated into Terra Station. It's going to be really fantastic. Um, and I think uh, by having a really good integrated DEX activity, Kepler is so-so, I would say. Kepler osmosis is not bad. But it could be better. I think Terra Station is going to be even better than that, and I think that can take care of a lot of our needs as far as like general trading needs. And if you can get like a point where limit orders can be placed, for example, on directly on Terra Station, that's going to be really, really amazing. Um, and I think that's the experience people want. Like when people open an app and they use a wallet today, they're like, "Why am I using this wallet? Like, why am I going and interacting over there?" The rest of the internet, like the app-based economy. Like, I don't go to my, like, Fidelity wallet and then interact with their website. Like, the entire experience is run in the app. And I think the general consumer who's used to Web2 finds the current Web3 experience just embarrassingly stupid. I mean, let's just face it. Like, the crypto user experience just blows. Like, it's not good at all compared to, like, so many other user interfaces you get out of, like, Web2 mega companies, like your Apples or whatever. Uh, so there is there is definitely some room to improve with that. And I think this the wallet integration and having DEX aggregation, maybe limit orders, um, even leverage trading positions right on your wallet using these, like in the background, all these DEXs are working, all these, um like, you know, but the user, the end user doesn't need to be watching, like, you know, the nuances there. All you need to know is how much slippage do I get? Like, what is my fee for this thing? And do I want to make this trade or not, right? You don't You don't need to know all the other stupid shit in the background. Like, uh, until we see that in crypto, um, your chain or whatever hasn't made it. Like, if you go to most wallets, they're just a simple wallet. And the reality is, like, a substantial portion of the consumer human race is not going to tolerate that shit. Like, they're not going to enjoy it enough to bother messing with crypto, I almost certainly. It's got to, these things have to work, like, a much more simple, like a cash app or a Zelle or whatever, like where your cash can get converted to crypto, your crypto can be converted to trades that include like limit orders, bot trading, leverage all in one place. That's what people want. Whoever can deliver that, they're going to do well. Everyone else is, you know, <laughs> going to just drag. Um, but anyway, yeah, so anyway, yeah, but that, that's the, my summary of what's happening with Terra Station is that things are going that direction. So that hopefully, as the market heats up again, TerraStation becomes the best user experience in all of crypto. Ideally, that's what we want to see. And we want to see that for Luna and for Luna Classic, ultimately. Um, both both chains are going to benefit uh, a lot from this. the wallet being done right. Let me get Chris real quick. He was trying to come on. and He, he dropped. Chris, you there?
4: Sir, thank you for bringing me up, sir. So my question for y'all today is... I got into Luna Classic after the, after the DPEG before Luna 2.0 came out. And one of the reasons I got into Luna Classic was I had, I had been looking into it and I had heard that it was a, a DeFi type platform. Um, and I got into crypto because I love the decentralized finance aspect of it. I've never been one for NFTs or games or anything like that. I what really gets my my brain turning is the decentralized finance so on the luna classic chain how do you think we can incorporate decentralized finance um DAPs or applications or whatever um and move the chain in that direction what do you think we should do to to go down that route and is that even a route that the community wants to take or are they stuck on the NFT and game kind of thing what do you think about that
1: well there's some there's some basic rules uh, in trading um, one is uh, the presumption is you want a high high number of transactions on your chain so the chain makes money uh, and revenues coming in which then can pay out to validators and and whatever right so that's one thing when you have burn mechanisms and such, the problem is there's no like, cohesive system uh, to increase traffic. Um, just for reference, uh, if I'm bot trading on a platform, I want a fee structure, ideally, where my fee for the total transaction is sub 0.3%. Um, and anything goes above that, whether it's burn taxes or other bullshit, and I'm like, I'm out of there. I'm not going to mess with that. Because the problem is, is, like if you look at crypto volatility, if you have a 1% volatility, you have to make a buy and a sell. And if you're, making, if you're losing 0.3% on fees, well, you're losing half of your like, income to the exchange, right? So any kind of high-frequency trading, which is what you want to have happening in crypto, uh, you kill that immediately with any kind of like mm, serious burn taxes or weird fees or some other bullshit. So anything like that, and you know your, your chain is hard-capped in terms of new users. Period. End of story. So sorry for the like negativity, but that's a given. You're not going to have any serious trading if that happens. So, but the thing is, on Linus Classic, long term, there's also not yet a um, way to pay the validators when the community pool goes dry. So you need to have a system that ultimately has to go back to being inflationary to pay the validators consistently. Um, you can do burn mechanisms and things tied to revenue, but um, Like to get a DeFi platform or DeFi activity really um, popular on Luna Classic, you really need very low transaction fees. And at this point, like any plain Jane Vanilla Cosmos chain, which um, once Luna Feather comes out and now that Cosmos, you know, uh, interchain security is coming out, like those things are going to make it possible to spin up a new chain with low fees in like under a week, like really, really quickly. So there's no reason to believe like um, a platform that has DeFi who wants to be able to provide like all the things that I'm talking about, bot trading, anything you see on Binance, leverage trading, whatever, all those things to have those happen in a DeFi arena, you need low transaction fees. And there's not a really great reason why a really, really highly developed company like DYDX or like you know, people that are building say network or something like that, there's no reason for them to come build on another existing chain. They're more likely to spin up their own chain. So really, really high-end developers are probably going to just make their own chain. So who is left is these people in the middle. It's going to be interesting getting um like it, it's going to be interesting getting more DeFi projects into any chain, much less Luna Classic generally. And this is one of the the concerning aspects of crypto today is like this fragmentation you have a very fragmented marketplace it's hard to bring liquidity to any one place and um i I think every chain is going to suffer with that to some extent or the other so what Terra is doing uh for DeFi now is they're building out a lot of different interesting apps so one of them is the enterprise which is what was um sort of rolled out yesterday or i think it's on testnet still um, but enterprise.terra.money is one example, and that's where DAO infrastructure is was created by TFL essentially for free for the community so that you can spin up a DAO on Terra V2 fairly easily. I don't think they're making that cross-chain at this moment, so Luna Classic Community won't be able to use it directly. They'd have to use Luna for that. Um, another example is... Um, I forget the name right now. Uh, shit. Um, it's kind of like an automation infrastructure where you can sort of like trigger trading based on certain, um, events and things like that. And, um, that's another thing Tara is working on. There's also a, a, um, side, uh, a, a, like group or producer making something very similar, but the ability to bring automations, uh, to DeFi, um, where you can have orders triggered at certain price points or with certain types of, um, like criteria and and like record that on the blockchain and then have that event happen in the future. If like, let's say, for example, certain price targets are hit or something like that. These kinds of things are coming out. So Terraform Labs has like a half dozen projects or more that they're working on to bring people into the chain. Um, They're spending a lot of money on developers and putting a lot of stuff together. So on the classic, what's happening still is you're relying upon new developers or volunteers and whatnot to show up, which is great. Um, but that takes more time. And time is something in crypto you do not have. You have to get stuff done really, really quickly because like the space tech moves very quickly, generally speaking, like a year is a very fucking long time, like in tech. And just think about how much like, you know, like think about what Apple produces in a year. And think about what we produce in crypto in a year. We're producing like nothing compared to the rest of tech, right? Like, like minuscule amounts of work, relatively speaking. So the it, it is really, time is not on our side. Bringing DeFi stuff to Luna Classic, to Luna, um, is something that has to be done with a high level of urgency if you're going to do anything at all. And like without a central agency doing it, like in Luna's side, at least you have TFL who are producing these things with their own budget, not taking much money from the community for it. And um, we're not taking any money from the community for it for the most part. And sort of paying out of you know whoever's pockets. Like, I don't know if Do Quan's paying for it out of his wallet or what. I don't know where the money's coming from. Point is, they're putting together um, um, like quite a bit of things that are funded and um, we can hope to use them. Hopefully, yeah, like we get cross-chain DeFi stuff So maybe the Luna Classic community benefits and with some of the things that TFL builds, but there's not a guarantee of of that. You have to imagine with Luna V2, what happened was the plan was, well, the previous Luna investors got wrecked. We're going to airdrop Luna V2 and we're going to start building on that. There was never really any intent to do anything with Luna Classic, except by and large, sort of just let it die. But um, then all of a sudden, a bunch of people came in and aped in on the thing. And bought it for reasons that are not really entirely clear. (laughs) And and sort of like speculated that something would happen there. But I think Luna Classic users should be really, really acutely aware. And if you're not, you should be. That it's going to be very easy to spin up brand new chains uh, by companies, by individuals, and whatever within like this coming year. Um, So there's no immediate drive to necessarily build on any given chain, much less Luna Classic or Luna. Um, you'll have the opportunity to build entire parachains uh, on Feather on Luna, for example, relatively quickly. Um, so, yeah, it, it, the L1 space and how L1s are going to work and make money is not really clear at this point. Um, so, I would, yeah, just a word of caution for people. <laughs> so, um, like, so a lot of the crypto movement in terms of price action is very much meme based and um, it's very much word of mouth, and viral sort of like marketing, kind of a, th- you know, guerrilla marketing, whatever you want to call it. So the community that can basically gin up the most interest um, like usually wins as far as like price action is concerned. And when money comes in, developers start, you know, raising an eyebrow. If they see that there's a lot of activity, a lot of meme action, and you know, a huge amount of price action happening, there's this price meme effect where everyone shows up at the table and they want to eat, right? If you're, if you are not doing well, then it doesn't really fucking matter what you're doing. Like nobody shows up with more money to deploy on that chain because they're not like a developer has so many choices, right? They could go to any number of hundreds of chains and do hundreds of fucking things. Like you have to entice them with, um, with, with something. And I think Luna classic can entice people with a a large retail community, which is kind of cool. Um, Luna can entice people because TFL are some of the more credible builders in the and very productive builders in the crypto space. So both have like their merits, I think. And, um, you know, it's very hard to predict exactly how the future will go. Um, You know, both could do well or both could do miserably. I don't know. (laughs) Anything's possible. Uh, We'll see. Uh, But yeah, uh, Kafka, did you have a comment? Kafka see there or light or uh, 808 to another
3: point
1: hello Let Kafka go and then I will yeah, go okay uh, yeah sure Kafka's.
5: any comments thank you very much uh, I'm i I'm not a native uh, speaker I'm from Turkey uh, I love uh osmosis cosmos and Lu- Luna tell all the Terra uh, blockchain Uh love you all I believe the merge Merge can be very nice uh, for the bot communities. Uh, Our feature is really uh, bright, you know. Uh, I love to listen to you, uh, so (laughs) thank you very much.
1: Yeah, no problem. Currently this concept of the merge right now is, um, one is like, uh, once the Luna Classic chain has all of the Cosmos upgrades installed, that's a bit of a project because um, Luna Classic, the TFL didn't maintain a lot of the original Cosmos infrastructure and upgrades um, previously with Luna because they weren't really needed. But now, with a lot of cross chain things happening, um, upgrading to the latest version of Cosmosm for Luna Classic and all of that work that's involved is helpful. And once you do that, then mm, you are fully like IBC compatible and everything, and you can have cross-chain um activities happen between let's say Luna Classic, Luna and Juno and Adam and everything else. So the benefits to the whole community, um like everyone benefits when everyone can use everyone else's chains from the same wallets and the same user experience. So that's I think the the element that's the main element. Um, There's not really like a way to sort of merge the chains in the classic sense, but merging the communities where um, you have uh, people of all types uh, building things that benefit both chains. I think that's going to be like part of the way the future works. Um, Interestingly, some of the dApps and dApp creators like that were, that produced on Terra moved on to other places like Juno, some of them went to Polygon. So we had this like diaspora of people that just sort of like, (laughs) like migrated away. So, with the Luna UST crash, that's a big problem. Is a lot of the development community that was building and excited about UST left to go do other things, NFT communities and everything else. So we're we're seeing uh, like a slow uh, growth back of some of those things. Um, but simultaneously, other things happen too. Like, first, take for example NFTs. You have you know competitor platforms. Like you have NFTs on Secret Network. You have NFTs on Stargaze. You have NFTs on Omniflix. You have NFTs on Luna Classic, on Luna, on Juno. So it's it's a bit more fragmented, and you'll notice that some of the uh, DApp creators are like, well, if we're doing the work, we'd like to be able to deploy an NFT project on each chain uh, to get access to those users and to get access to that attention, and become multi-chain, um, where they take the same software. They take the same work and they can deploy on multiple places. Um, when when you have fully upgraded Cosmos systems on every chain, it makes it more possible to do that easier. Whereas imagine like right now, if you have a video game that you produce and you have to produce for PlayStation and then Xbox and then Windows and then Microsoft for Mac or whatever, it becomes really, really difficult without um, sort of like a cohesive understructure. Right. So that's something that's happening in the Luna Luna. Linen classic um, communities where, like, if you can get all of that infrastructure settled to be all the same at baseline, then you can produce things that um, NFT projects are interested in deploying on multiple platforms. Like, so for example, Hero NFT is an example. They produced NFTs original on Terra, and then they released a collection on um, uh, they le- released a collection on Stargaze. Um, which is completely separate from their Terra collection. Similar art style, but separate. Uh, Look at Kujira. They have their own chain, but then they released a Kujira NFT on Stargaze, for example. So you want those type of things to happen. You want um, to attract, um, at the very least, attract existing Cosmos NFT communities, for example, to come and put something on Luna Classic, Um, even if it's a a similar project or or maybe... um, whatever, like credible builders who can deploy and um, like the community says, hey, we'll pump pump your attention. We'll retweet your stuff. Just come and play over here. Um, Like that makes a big difference. So one thing like the Luna and Luna Classic communities can do is like fucking retweet everything. Like if you haven't retweeted like 600 things a day, then you can expect the price of your coin to go down. That's simple as that. Like if you look at how Twitter works, you look how crypto Twitter works and all the other social platforms, If all you have to do is like take the people who are producing content and you like, you know, repeat the crap out of it. The problem is communities get disengaged, they get bored and they stop doing that. And of course, that's when price goes down because nobody else is buying. Right. So, uh, yeah, for the communities, like that's probably some of the basics you can do to like even if you're not producing content is um, is is. uh, like yeah encouraging like talk to some of the teams like if you like an nft on a different on a different platform say hey you should come and deploy on luna classic we have a huge community of people that are looking to buy nfts they can't find very many here like please come and uh deploy or you know like if you're on uh uh, um like and you know so we like stargaze did that for example like like there's kujira stuff on stargaze there are Terra people on stargaze there are like PS Labs, I think, has deployed on both like Polygon and Ethereum and on Stargaze. So there's like a, there's quite a few multi-chain examples in, in NFTs where people are trying to get more attention from different communities. Um, and they're not even trying to make their NFTs cl- cross-platform or compatible or anything. They're just trying to get access to these customers. Right. Um, so these are considered like all these chains. Just think about as mar- them as marketplaces and you want to attract people to them Um in in any possible ways that you can. And you have to be creative with that. But like all of that cross-chain conversations between developers, between different projects, that's what the so-called community does. The community is just sitting around like watching fucking like price go up and down and asking when go up. I'm just an investor. um, Then you can expect that price will go down. If you see a huge number of people interacting, talking with each other, like new friends are being made every day and you're building like a network of people, then you expect typically financially the returns will come uh, via the network effect of that human interaction. So if you're not seeing that, then, then um, like, you know, your community is not doing enough. That's <laughs> as simple as that. And I know people get bored in bear markets. People are not interested when price is going down, but think about it. Like if you're going to shill some coin like Bitcoin or something to your family members, when's the best time to shill it at $70,000 or at, you know, $5,000. Like the funny thing is like, The lower the price of something goes, the less people talk about it, which is the opposite effect of what should actually happen. The lower the price goes, the more you should talk about it if you're sane. That's when the smart money is buying, right? So um, that sort of same paradigm in crypto is like a real problem because price has this meme effect. When price goes down, everyone's depressed and crying in their teacup or whatever. Um, And and nobody wants to participate when price is going down. And this is just like an impossible problem to solve because crypto really is kind of money. So the, th- so the thing is like when your money is going down and it's the key thing that you are like euphoric about or excited about, it's the it's the thing that you're least excited about when it's going down. And so you, no one's wanting to talk. Everyone's depressed and like moody and shit, um, whereas like other types of products, like let's say, for example, you're Apple or you're like a video game maker. Right. Like the price of Activision does not directly correlate. With your fun in World of Warcraft, right? Like you, like the product could be working great. You could be having a lot of fun, but the stock may be going up and down. In crypto, the funny thing is, like the price, it'd be like <laughs> it'd be like you expect to sell your World of Warcraft account at some point in the future, and the price of it's going down, and you're depressed. You don't feel like playing, right? This is the problem with uh, like crypto gaming, but in general, it's a problem in crypto where the game the price of the token is affecting the mentality of the so-called Schiller network or the the viral um like word of mouth and it's a common, common issue. Um and also by the way, like in the media, when the price of when the price of everything is down, like all of your lay people friends, like people who aren't in crypto yet, like people who are in your family, your friends, your coworkers, whoever they are, they're seeing all the negative articles one after the other. Oh, crypto bad. Um sbf bad alameda bad crypto bad 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 sec says it's bad so they're the least likely to buy at the bottom and those are the people that are most likely to buy the tops because they're going to buy when everyone at the water water cooler is talking about it and excited and by that point the price has already jumped 50 percent or more to the next top and then of course like your family and friends get wrecked because that's when they buy like even Luna, like I bought it when it was like $4 after it crashed from like 25 bucks or something like, like, and then it went up to like 140, but I wasn't like throw going all in at $140 Luna, for example, <laughs> like, and this is what a lot of people, um, end up doing. So yeah, like now when the prices are down is the best time to be talking about it, the, the, making developer relationships, bringing as many people to build projects on your chain as possible, um, all of that shit. But like, I don't really think that this idea that um, like during a bear market, you should just put your head down and build type of idea. No, like that's the time when you want to have users, lots of new users come and buy your coin. Why? Because when the price is going up, they're all going to be happy. And when they're happy, the more people you have in your network, all of those people become viral marketers or shillers for your project. Right. So the bear market is where. Like next year's or the next bull market's sort of like uh, word of mouth, like natives are going to come from because when like you're up 10x or 5x or whatever, you're going to tell everybody on the planet that oh you should buy Luna, you should buy this, you should buy that, right? Like that's what always happens. Um, Is this like uh, so? Yeah, you want to you want to be telling people about these things while they're low, um, not while they're high. Um, I, I think that's common sense, although it rarely happens. All the data that's out there. Suggest that that does not happen that most of you will sit quietly uh not have any of your friends and family buy stocks crypto or any fucking thing else until it goes up again and then everyone's like oh should i buy now and you're like well yeah it's a good company (laughs) you know you're you're, so this is what happens every time this is why like your friends and family get wrecked because they they hear from you at thanksgiving or christmas or whatever they buy a bunch of shit and then it goes down afterwards it's a typical thing but anyway yeah it's a lifer yeah go ahead
2: yeah, I was just gonna say it's almost like you got to train yourself to be reverse psychology. Like people see a chart and then be like, "Oh wow, this thing did really well. I should probably get in. It might keep going." But then when it's down, they're like, "Oh my, this thing went down. It can't be good." You know, it's it's the exact opposite. You look at the chart and you go, "Okay, this thing was up there and now it's down." So we chances in the next bull run we're going to see a new all-time high so what are we at now oh we're at two cents this thing was at five bucks like that's that's a good long-term swing for me and also with the luna classic thing there is still a lot of market maker interest all the way right back up to its all-time high so i don't know What's going to go on, but I do know something big is going to happen. The charts, the charts tell that news.
4: That's I don't know. Much. I don't,
1: I would say the, um, like the, the charts only say so much, like they don't really predict the future. So you have to be careful. Um, like innovation is necessary. A narrative is necessary. Like having been around pumping fucking Bitcoin for a quarter century or whatever, like I can tell you that there is a, there is a, like, I tend not to, here's, here's my general rule. I tend not to get into something where I can't make the price go up personally. So like memorize that statement right there and you'll understand like the basis for like the crypto space. (laughs) Like if I don't have, I don't feel like some contribution I can personally make can make price go up, whether it's through like, just um, like building a network of people uh, like via social media, whatever it might be. If I don't think that it's at a level where I can make an impact then i tend not to get as heavily involved does that make sense like so yeah i i do post a lot of charts and things but at the same time it's like they're it's more for just like guidance um and it i i think charts tell you a lot more about sort of like maybe the relative strength of something like for example um you had some cryptos this year that are down 97 to 99% and you have from the top and you have others like Adam which I think at the um at the very bottom which was very quick um uh we're down maybe like I don't know 85% and then popped back up to like and I think Adam for example is at 80% down from the top or something like that whatever the case may be but the lower the drop is from the top the less percentage drop the stronger um relatively speaking a coin is for the next run that also that makes dogecoin look absolutely unusual in this regard like doge point dogecoin has held on to more of its gain than almost anything which is funny i know it's from the very top to where it is now it's a big drop but from the very very bottom to where it is now it's still up a lot right so these kinds of um like metrics I've learned to make much more use of than all these us- other usual things like life or like understand, like I, I was programming trading view bots and stuff like using, um, things like moving averages and everything else. And when you back test like 99% of strategies, they don't show any, um, advantage, uh, through technical trading. So like, Yeah. If you like, in other words, if you're any technique that you would be willing to use, you'd be, you should be willing to use it with a hundred million dollars. If the answer is like, you wouldn't spend that much, then, then that means that the technique is not quite there. And I would say that most back-tested, um, like traditional, um, TA strategies don't work. So typically, um, like I tend to, my general strategy is if I like a company or I like a crypto, and I think, then what I will tend to do is just basically martingale it on the way down. You know, and
2: like for, and, and for that's, real,
1: that's mathematically simple. Yeah, and I I
2: agree, and I'm like I I I kind of disagree with your with your um, classical TA point. Like uh, I've been doing. Classical TA now for a couple of years, you know, drawing my triangles using just, stochastic. Just for reference,
1: by the way, I've, I've been at yeah. this since like the, the personal computer was invented. So yeah, no, since the 80s. <laughs> so, been at this quite a while. Yeah, and, and fairly robust it. Playing.
2: well here's the thing though like like my accounts are up my wife's accounts are up my mom's accounts are up so i mean you can't you can't like so you can say you can tell me that traditional ta doesn't work but for me it's working you know so like just and i'm glad you brought up doge too because i was gonna say that this is one example out of many and like i said i got proofs for all this but when doge was down in the slumps there there was a big move coming i charted it and then elon said oh i might be using doge for payments and then the price blasted man i made killing off that last pump and and now now elon's saying and then he's like you're like you're saying doge has held its gains but now elon's saying that uh, he's using he's dropping out these new twitter coins that are going to be used so is he ditching it and the price is going to dump i don't know yeah
5: uh, sorry i want to say one thing uh Jared, Jared from TfL is on live on space. Just wanted to let you know.
1: Oh, cool. What's he saying? Uh
5: I don't know. know. I don't know. Just wanted to He'll let know. you know. I am going there.
1: Oh, we go go check it okay. out. Yeah, I might maybe drop and go check out what Jared said. Okay, as well. thank you very much. Um but uh yeah, cool. Thanks for the information. Um yeah, like so anyway, long story short, like for like with with TA, the bottom line is like ninety nine percent of the methodologies don't back test very well. So when you when you run it into like so you take a, a historical method, you use that method going forward. Um, then what happens is is most of the time the back testing does not show like the the forward testing does not show the benefits that you might have even found during back testing. So like the um, quantitative trading techniques that people have been trying to protect, uh, like work on for the past, like 20 years and try to perfect them. They do only so much in the grand scheme of things. Ultimately to me, it's like, like the, the more insider knowledge you have, the better. Like it's as simple as that. Like, for example, if we know in this small group that TFL is releasing a new wallet and everyone's gonna be talking about it over the next week or two about screenshots and how they like it or whatever. That's useful information that's actionable way more so than like where like Luna is on the price chart right now. Because like there's just a standard way that human beings tend to react to social media over a period of several weeks that like you know it's sort of coming. The other thing too like right now is, so when BTC starts to go up Then people have a lot more available leverage on many platforms, and that tends to trickle into altcoins if that sustains. So, uh, if BTC stays up, then you'll typically see altcoins follow because of that reason. It's more of a leveraged. uh, It's just a redistribution of the wealth based on where people have access to the most leverage. That's how I trade. The broadest leverage market is Bitcoin and Ethereum. So as they go up like then you can grab you know all sorts of other things um and then like then it's kind of tricky though sort of like which which one do you buy it's going to go up the most that's a harder thing to predict um it, like I don't, I don't know that there's a great way to do it honestly
2: no and you're exactly right that's how that's how i trade and when bitcoin goes up and then goes sideways for a little bit that money trickles into altcoins so like it doesn't leave the market like you said, and uh, oh, another thing I wanted to bring up.
1: Yeah, if if the, if Bitcoin's at a, in a position where, like, the money's been made, right? Like, mm, like say for example, if you had a long position at sixteen k ish, and now you're at twenty thousand Bitcoin or whatever it is now, um, and you've made your money, right? What are you going to do at that point? You as a leverage trader or a whale or whatever you might say well i want to get something that is has not popped so i'll go grab like i'll have a list of my 100 tokens oh look this one over here hasn't popped yet compared to the other ones so people tend to bargain hunt and discount hunt those yeah so to some extent like the ones that have already popped are the ones i almost like ignore at that point um,
2: exactly.
1: i tend to grab the things that like when nobody's paying attention and I just simply plan to escalate my buys on the way down. So uh, that way I can overwhelm all prior positions with exponentially larger buys on the way down. And that pretty much covers it. So, for example, if I bought, uh, like, let's say when Chainlink was at 10 bucks, let's say I bought $1,000 worth. Then when Chainlink's at um, nine bucks, I might buy 2,000 bucks worth. And at eight bucks, I might buy 4,000 bucks worth. And I just sort of go like that. Same. Small, bigger and bigger, and then it only takes about a 20% move or so 20 to 30% move, and I'm break even already, right? So,
2: yeah, we're the same boy, bud.
1: So, I just basically take things that are just unlikely to go to zero and I just martingale them. And in crypto, you can really start martingaling after the price of a coin has dropped, um, like I don't know, 80% almost. Uh, the problem with Crypto is unlike traditional stocks, which oftentimes people start doing, like you could probably Martingale Apple stock. You know, when Apple drops like maybe 30 to 40 percent, you can easily start piling in. Right. You're not going to bottom out at like a 90 percent retracement on Apple. Right. It's just not going to (laughs) happen. But in crypto, especially in the altcoin market, which is like super, super speculative, then like mm, 80 to 90 percent drop would be pretty normal. Right. And then in the occasional one, like Adam, if you wait too long, you just miss it because it doesn't go as low as you think. Yeah. Yeah. Like my my Adam is basically excuse me, I got a little beeping noise going. Um, My Adam has been killing it in the sense that like the yield is 20 percent on the damn thing. Right. So I bought more at sub nine dollars. So at a 20 percent inflationary yield, it's like just a money printer at this point. Because with alt- very high yield coins like Luna or Adam, it's really, really important to get them at the very, very bottom, because then when the coin doubles, your yield doubles, so even if like you didn't sell, you're making back like within a relatively fast period of time the value that you initially put in just on the crazy high yield. so the high yield earners even like even though they create a selling pressure because they're inflationary, if you can buy them at the bottom, it's just a super winner, right like it makes it makes a lot of sense, but the problem is catching the bottoms and you have to always have cash available. Yeah. Man, right on. So yeah, like the, the the tokenomics of any particular project you should really think about as well before you, um, like depending on how you allocate, um, some are designed to go up, uh, sort of more than others. And, um, you know, that, that's, I don't know. You just have to think about that when you're buying. And most people don't. Um, but short-term tokenomics don't really matter much. It's more of a long-term thing. Short-term people generally buy because of narrative. Um, long-term tokenomics and stuff matter. Like take the Luna Classic burn mechanisms, a perfect example. It does nothing for the price of the coin short-term. There's no relationship to price discovery at all in the really short-term. That's like a five to 10-year timeframe type of thing. So, um, you know, people think, oh, if we burn more tokens, price go up. No, if you burn more tokens, then there's a meme effect but people start advertising that their tokens are being burned and then more people buy it because they think that's the reason it goes up, right? So it has nothing to do with like the actual burn causing price to go up. It's more the meme effect of burning. Um, and uh, like, but other than that, like tokenomics, to me, it's like if it's an inflationary coin, like Atom is a great example, or Luna, which is I think fifteen percent right now. These are things you want to get at the absolute bottom, if possible. Um, did we actually reach that bottom? That's the hard part, right? Nobody ever really knows uh, if you've gotten to the absolute bare bottom. But you can compare with some other tokens, like compare the market cap of like Stargaze, for example, which is relatively small, and compare it to where Luna is, and ask yourself, wait, Luna has like four million wallets outstanding you know, Stargaze has probably, like, you know, <laughs> probably a few hundred thousand or something. Um, Luna's price is relatively low compared to user base. Um, So you can think of it that way, too, is, like, compare based on, like, total possible um, network effect of that coin and see if that's priced in or not. Um, and, and, you know, that, that might give you some indication and comparators for different chains. Like, like just head how head much wiggle,
2: just, like, how much wiggle room there is to go for more
1: people to be onboarded? Yeah, because if you already have like 4 million people that have used the wallet, right? Like one thing in crypto that's for sure is usually bear market rallies, which is probably what we're seeing now. Um, Are we going to get a big one? Maybe. But bear market rallies are usually pre-existing people coming back and um, like pre-existing users just throwing more money at it, hoping that they're going to get their money back, right? That's usually the bear market rally. That's sort of what we're seeing now. Um, are you seeing a lot of new people coming into crypto right now? Probably not, because I see almost nobody talking about it at work or whatever, which means that like, <laughs> nobody is thinking about it at all. Um, so, yeah, the, the retail folks have left the space. They're not you know, talking about it on news channels anymore. They're not talking about it in newspapers. You know, these kind of things, it just completely stopped, right? So what That's you're the seeing best now, time to get in. Yeah, it is sort of, but like, it also means that the upside is limited still for the short run. Because we, first you need to have the bear market rally, where basically the pre-existing users get wrecked one more time. Um, like you know, what'll happen is, is that like when it goes when Adam was it like or Luna was uh, you know, down at a dollar twenty, people will say, oh, I don't really want to buy it because well, it could go down, and then it will start going up, and then everyone starts talking about it like we are now, and then you'll go buy it, and then it'll go down again, right? So you, you have to get wrecked twice, um, and then um, a full bull market can actually happen. You have to basically just like exhaust all the old users completely. um, And everyone has to be wrecked like numerous times to make it to make it to the next rally. That's just life. That's just how it is. Um, Otherwise, until full seller exhaustion happens um, and enough people who are wrecked have left the market or just ignoring their wallet. Right. Then new people show up and price goes up. Yeah, there's a whole dynamic to that, too. And that's that's part of why it takes like one, two, three years for these things to play out. It's the same thing in the general economy too. Yeah. So like a, f- a few year, three to four year cycles is is the typical sort of like human cycle when it comes to these. Um, but who knows? Uh, it depends too. Like back when the NASDAQ had a bubble, this is like 1999, the NASDAQ bubble, like cr- I remember like that crash. Um, I think NASDAQ lost like 80 or 90% of its value, like in, in uh, like within, like within a period of months. And um, that's when I was like buying Apple stock back then in in 2000 or whatever. And uh, the Nasdaq bubble was interesting in that like the Nasdaq took 10 years to come back to where it is now or where where it, it's next high. Right? No, I'm sorry. It took 10 years to recover to the pr- value of the Nasdaq when the from the top to the bottom all the way back to the previous high. Right now, of course, the Nasdaq went higher than the previous high and then dropped again, but. 10 years is what the economy can sometimes take generally. So we don't know like the macroeconomic situation, if it's going to be a 10 year cycle or not. Right. So people always like, on, you know, like to say, well, it's going to be a two, three year recession. It'll be fine. People like to say that kind of shit, but like, that means they haven't lived long enough because they haven't watched it play out <laughs> Like, where, where it doesn't happen that quickly. Um, so well, is yeah. Was that in 2000 or 08? No, the 2000 bubble, the, the dot-com bubble.
2: Yeah, we, we recovered in oh seven oh eight quite nicely though.
1: Yeah, oh seven oh eight. I remember buying a bunch of Citigroup stock at like I don't know. I think it was under a dollar or something. <laughs> so it's like um, yeah, like th- those type of situations are like you go all in. You just put all your mo- whatever money you have, you just throw it in. Like <laughs> just it's total, <laughs> it's total YOLO in those events, man. If but a lot of people are not cash heavy at that time. But yeah, two thousand bubble. No, the two thousand bubble was epic the tech bubble was, was quite crushing, it was impressive, even more so than the, the 08 bubble in, in my view. But like, at least for tech, it was bigger. Very interesting. <laughs> so anyway, but like, yeah, this, I think the, the question of is the worst over, I think the, my guess, if just looking at the overall, like there's not very many catalysts right now for the Western world, right? Like population is stagnant, you know, like AI is coming and a few other tech, tech things are showing up, but there's not like a mega population catalyst to make a bunch of new money, um, you know, like and, and there's not like a, a great reason to have so much inflation without a population rising. So I think the problem is, is that we have like, you know, we need to like the Western world needs that next catalyst. Well, can I um, talk about Trump here? Or are you a hater or? I, I don't particularly worry about him either way. Why? What do you think?
2: Well, it's just like like there's there's a lot of cool shit going on. There's some good versus evil going on and um there's lots of court cases going on. I'm deeply, deeply nosedived right into it. So like I'm not just talking out of my ass. But like like they took back the house and you know, he's got this infrastructure bill going on and it's like a trillion dollars or something. And like people can say whatever they want, but when he comes back, I mean, markets are going to boom again. That's, that's just facts. Yeah,
1: Money it's, will. It's it's kind of like, th- that's not really the thing. Like markets tend to f- follow a, some sort of like major secular trend largely. So for example, um, when not everyone in America had a house, for example, there's a massive build, right? When not everyone had a highway, there was a massive build out. When the internet had to be built out and like cell towers and everything had to be built and everything, that was a big trend, right? So uh, to me, I just look at the general like tech trend um, as the, the thing that drives the Western world. Because remember, at the end of the day, we have to sell something to somebody else to make them make money, um, printing money and like may, building ourselves, our own roads and all those things can be interesting, but there's a big difference between the United States or the Europe today and what it was like, let's say 30, 40 years ago. And the biggest difference is population demographics one and two, the relative high cost of energy and materials, which like between rare earth metals being in places that are not America and um, like, a lot of energy res- – luckily, uh, in, in all of this, the United States relatively is in a good shape um, in the sense that, like, mm, so, so where, are they in, where are we in good shape? In the U.S., at least. We're in good shape because the population demographic is not as bad as bad as it is for China and Russia and a variety of other places like Europe. Um, the second reason is because the nor- the North American continent is relatively more energy independent than a lot of other places. That's number two. And number three, you still have a huge amount of tech geniuses and a very, very strong university um, infrastructure for creating new developments. So these kinds of things um, and being at the forefront of f- nuclear fusion, number one, uh, AI, number two, and quantum computing, number three, all at the same time means that like the probability that the Western world stays ahead of everyone is quite high, even with all the like things that China is doing and everything else. So yeah, from a general macro perspective, like I think there's, we're better off than a lot of other places, no question about it. But as far as like growth story for stocks and everything else, the problem is, is that like our population demographics in the West don't favor a mega build out like they once did. And that's where um, it's quite possible that you could have an economy that just drags on for decades. And, you know, it doesn't, they're like, there's no obvious thing that's like everything has to just grow, grow, grow you know, to infinity or whatever. Right. Like that's my point is that um, I have a relatively sort of like, I guess, neutral stance right now, as far as um, the growth story. Although like the one thing I would say that maybe not one thing, but like, hmm, what one reason for extreme optimism would be is if you look at what like the internet and smartphones did to like productivity and um, innovation, Like mm, AI is one of the most important innovations of all time. It's like it's like it's like the discovery of fire. It's that big.
2: Yeah, I think someone was talking about having like, you know, AI fridge where you have an inventory and it tells you on the fridge what you're out of or what you're low on milk and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, sure. All of those things will be possible with a simple camera that is watching what you put in and when and all that. Yeah, now those are the little things I'm talking about, the complete and total reconstruction of the entire human race through AI. Like that's all coming very quickly. Like it's impressive what these things can do. Like everything we do, every job we have, every process that we have will be affected um there is no sector of the world that doesn't get affected by it that's what's interesting so yeah that makes for like a a potential mega uh like a a mega um what do you call it economic driver um for the for the human race coming forward in the next 20 30 years so like yeah i'm looking for as many like possible investment ideas in that space as possible not so much the pie in the sky ones but the really good ones that are um, going to be the next apples the next microsoft the next googles etc um those are the those going. that's going to be the trend to be looking for right now probably even more so than crypto in terms of growth vector so that's something for people to be definitely keeping an eye on yeah no kidding yeah although crypto technically has a long way to go as well um it's like think about you know cryptos ten plus years in, whereas like mm, neural network machine learning based AI is really only in about ten years right? Now. It's about ten years also, but um, I think crypto's a little bit ahead, um, you know compared yeah. to like mainstream uh, visibility. And just back to the
2: money thing, like and where it's going to come from, like like I said, we got all these countries getting in, and China lifting their ban and the the swiss um getting into it africa churches and like like i was saying like when like if trump comes back i'm saying when if it, he does there's going to be you know the america first agenda is just going to open up a whole can of whoopass for money to come in especially when everybody like you said is saying oh Uh, burn opportunities and and gains, people start shilling this when prices start going up, and uh, yeah, if there's money in the economy, then they have money to invest, and all those new people can get onboarded, hopefully safely.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm just not sure how, like, in the grand scheme of things, how electable he is, (laughs) even if he was going to be, like, um, like, you know, pro-market rally, and, and really, even if, let's say he did come back, it would coincide with really the normal sort of time for typical recessions, right? So yes. it would you it would be very difficult to know whether you could attribute that some kind of growth story to us individual or something like that. A lot of times well, these things B- just happen. Bitcoin, like, in, like in, you in said, time. Yeah Bitcoin, like you said, has that
2: cycle where it goes up for three years and then it drops for a year. So we've hit the timeline for the bear market to be, you know, the bottoms are rounding right now, in my view, like we could drop and I'm pretty like, so every three years, Bitcoin drops 85%, right? So what's 85% of 69k, that's 10.56k. Those are my price targets for bottom. And that's just based on what Bitcoin's done since it's been invented.
1: Yeah, or unless if adoptions as good as you think it might be, then it should be higher than that. Right. So if it yeah. if it if it goes down 85%, it's really bad. Because it would imply that adoption's not as good as we think and then we're screwed. You yeah, don't
2: so, think that so you don't so. think that the you don't think that the institutions are on the insider knowledge of things and also helping drop the price down so that they can get all these coins on a discount?
1: Mm, like no. <laughs> no? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's no, I think like there's no big grand thing like ultimately um if you go down 85% again it's a it's a very very bad signal that like um cryptos is not as important as people think it is right so the, you have to, so if the chart tells you anything it's that if adoption was picking up we should not have even dropped below 20k in all in all seriousness like a drop from like 70 down to or to go to 150k BTC down to like 50 would have been a good growth, growth um, like chart when it comes to sort of like exponential, um, an exponentially growing asset. What this bull market showed when we dropped below 20K is that we're no longer exponentially growing as much as we thought we were. And that's not good. So like, I'm not particularly happy with the BTC chart at all. It's just extremely ugly looking. Um, the fact that we dropped even below 20 um, is extreme weakness in in many like in a sense right like think about the stock market if you have something like an apple stock, for example, and if it were to drop today eighty five down from the top eighty five percent what would you say right? things are not going well like adoption must not be very good. their products probably are not you know killing it um, so you know usually in like a high quality asset. You know, a forty percent pullback down to moving averages, or even a drop below that in a bad economy, down to like sixty percent, is one thing. But to drop eighty five percent again at this stage in the BTC market, at this stage in adoption, is not a good sign, generally speaking. So, I, yeah, I hope I, it doesn't go down agree. to ten and a half.
4: If I it goes down agree.
1: to ten and a half, then then I would question whether I want to buy that at all. Really? Because yep. like I
2: would agree with you completely if we weren't in such a terrible macro environment and COVID, like if COVID didn't happen, like and the and and the governments weren't printing all this money and stealing
1: sure from the yeah, taxpayer, yeah, yeah. of course, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. You know, these externalities are saying like are make it uh, not possible to sort of like measure the way we used to in a sense. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. that's that's feasible too. You could argue then that like maybe the twenty K BTC was too high it was like it was a um it was an artifact in and of itself and that we shouldn't overthink it yeah right because that mean that would mean that 20k was sort of artifactual based on those kinds of like money printing conditions as well Mm -hmm. so yeah it's possible like yeah maybe i'm overthinking it and that like yeah the, the the extreme pump the extreme qe and then like the and then on top of that the um the the post lehman brothers crash like you know uh, a pump sort of like played out and you know maybe the chart means nothing (laughs) it's just all machinery in the background right that's
4: that's
2: basically where where i was going with it yeah
1: yeah it's possible i i I think it so that yeah like if you drop down below 10k uh, below the cost of mine again it's happened before like you know back when we were 6k and it dropped to three that was below the cost of mine and it did that twice um, and then we got a massive recovery, right? So that's possible. And and human beings love to gamble and they love they love uh, like leverage trading. So you know that's coming back no matter what, right? So I guess it's possible that you're right that you know, you buy the bottom again and then write it up. But at the same time, sometimes bottoms mean like extreme bottoms mean that, you know, not enough people care, right? That's why they're bottom is so bad. And other times it means, well, it's just the usual market dynamics. Um yeah. it depends though. It would make me nerve. It makes me much less nervous if BTC like doesn't go down eighty five percent again. <laughs> I think if it stops here, it makes it a much better buy um, going forward it, into the future. But I
2: don't to know. me, it's like show me the charts and I'll show you the news. BTC has always dropped eighty five percent. I see no reason why it, it it shouldn't. But I don't know as much it, as you. It you can. Tell me but remember, there's forever. There,
1: there's another piece to this too. Is like the price of uh, energy is different now. And, yeah. the, and, and uh, remember, uh, like 85%, like you said, but we had a lot of inflation in that time, right? So between last bull um, market and the, the most recent one, we've had like, what, 20% plus inflation easily, right? Probably more. Yeah. So the value of BTC now, if you look at it compared to the value of BTC at like the 20K last time, right? Like we should be at least 20K now. I if agree. We would have even accounted for inflation, but w- like BTC now doesn't even account for that. Right. That's why it's even worse than it looks on the chart. Cause it doesn't include the fact that dollars lost so much value. Right. So this it's is enough. the thing. Like, so it looks that, yeah, the price for BTC now looks just downright miserable, even now. Like it's just terrible. So like imagine it if you bought a 2017 at the top in December or whatever, right? And you waited till now and you're back to 20K, but that's less yeah. than the value that would be for inflation.
6: Yeah, uh-huh, it should exactly. be worth it
1: should be worth 20% more than that if you can count for inflation. So it's pretty weak. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's, it's um, like for a lot of people, depending on when they bought BTC, the outcome has been very unimpressive for a lot of people. Limp gains for sure in the last five years, you know, yeah, and it depends. On, it depends on what. Yeah, exactly. When you bought it and everything. But
2: yeah. Yeah, and you know, before FTX went down, we were hanging at nineteen one for like the most boring part of my life. Really, it was like six months or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't remember. But, yeah, yeah. So we we were we were at your we were at your you know psychological bottom basically, and then yeah, people just started dumping money because they were you know terrified. Hey Timmy, what you been up to? Timmy there?
1: Oh, shit. Timmy there? Yeah. I yeah. I did not mean to request to speak, but... Oh, no problem. <laughs> so you got wrecked by... You, I, I saw the tweet about your job. Yes, yes. Did you, uh, did you get something sorted out yet or what?
5: I did, thankfully, actually. Um, I'm going to be taking on marketing lead
1: for two new projects that uh, Umi is working on. So oh, that's okay. pretty cool. Okay, it's gonna it's gonna feed your family or whatever. Yes, it's an actual job in in USD with benefits and such.
5: <laughs> so, okay, okay. yeah, I, it's funny the the last time I was laid off prior was uh, due to COVID. I worked in doing like videos and marketing stuff for a travel agency, so obviously that went down the drain with COVID, and that was like a year long job search, and then this recent one was like.
1: Within a week, I had people reaching out to me. So honestly, awesome. <laughs> Quite a contrast. Yeah, the, 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 uh, a lot of people are looking for, for people to work and can't find them. So yeah, the labor market's not bad. It's weird. I feel like you hear from both sides the same thing of like, I'm looking
5: for work and no one wants to hire, but then also employers saying what you just said.
1: Yeah, it's, it depends on the industry. It depends. That's what I was thinking, a mismatch of fields. Yeah. Yeah. So, there there might be a lot of people who don't match uh, with what they need. Um, So, yeah, there's some areas like advertising in particular. Uh, Facebook, Google, a lot of other companies had serious drops in ad revenue, which is why like Facebook stock and Google stock and everything were punished so badly. Um, And there wasn't just one or two, like I think it's like three successive quarters too. It wasn't just a little bit. So there's a tremendous drop in the, the amount of people that are spending on ad, revenue, ad, um, like internet ads and otherwise. Yeah. The, uh, the, the job I just got laid off from was exactly that it, it
5: was, right. uh, I you mentioned an ad agency. And in the past, like two months, we lost over 25 clients of various sizes, like other businesses and companies. And about half of them, we lost them due to them like having to shutter their
1: doors. Like either permanently or on a temporary basis. So well it's hard enough. out there. Yeah, with inflation, uh the average like person doesn't have as much money in their wallet to spend on like consumer goods or whatever, probably. And like I think the data is showing that like credit card debt has just completely skyrocketed to record levels as well in the United States. So that means that the consumer end user is like pretty strapped for cash. And I think Neiman Marcus, Macy's and some others were Um, some of these like retailers, like um, what do you call them? Like mall retailers or whatever. Um, We're thinking about closing down some locations and stuff like that. So yeah, a lot happening in the, like it's going to take a while for this to play out in the like real estate space and everything else. And, um, homes have not been wrecked in prices yet. So that's the what that's the last thing that needs to get wrecked. That's the <laughs> one thing that I can't
5: figure out how I feel about is like real estate market because on the one hand, it feels like we're in a bubble, they should come down, they've gone up exponentially. But on the other hand, I don't think there's a metric with more exponential growth than the population of the planet, right? So Right. So what what is real estate more closely tracked than that, if anything?
1: yeah and the, that's kind of why like there's this trend towards letting every illegal alien you can possibly get come into the country it's because like there's this everyone wants labor and everyone wants someone to buy their shit from them. they need people need exit liquidity like quite literally um so that's why they, that's why like the is, like porous for the for North America uh, for this reason, um more than anything, probably, but anyway, yeah, like the um the the situation now, I think the housing market, yeah, because the relative scarcity of building materials and such. And a lot of the products made to build houses came out of China. Uh, my brother dealt with this where he had a design for house all ready to go. like um, It's like about two, maybe two and a half million dollar house. He was uh, designing and constructing and um, like halfway through it, the this whole crisis emerged with inflation. And the cost of building this thing skyrocketed to like four million compared to the plan and he's like, "I'm not paying four million for a house like it's not gonna happen and he he had uh paid already for architecture and all sorts of things and uh, he he had to lose out on maybe four hundred k worth of architecture fees and this and that mm, for for a house he's no longer even gonna build on top of the fact that he's got a property or a, a land piece that like he's now not going to use and stuff like this. So it was a bit of a mess um, where he got wrecked essentially, um, even though he hadn't even built the fucking thing yet. It's <laughs> just kind of funny, um, kind of funny but kind of sad at the same time how much money got flushed down the drain. But yeah, the the inflation hit housing and the scarcity of the materials was a big deal. On The flip side, we had a commercial business which is like a about a $12 million type of project. Um, building is like made mostly of like um steel and glass and stuff and um the price of the land the steel and the glass all went up after we had built it and we got we originally bought the thing with like loans as low as like 3% interest rate right so that was like really lucky comparatively like had you been one year off in your deployment right like that would have been a wreck on the other hand that particular business got somewhat wrecked by the fact that covid happened literally at the grand grand opening and stuff. Like we had COVID happen. So that was a disaster. Um, So yeah, it was a a mixture of different things. But yeah, timing was like everything in the last few years. You got either really screwed or did okay, depending on if you got lucky. Um, None of this stuff was predictable by some price chart or some shit like that. Like there's no way you would have known that COVID was going to happen, for example. Um, There's no way you'd have known. Like what the government responses would be. There's no way to know how bad the virus is going to be. There's no way to know any of that shit, and um, how it's going to impact um, things. Yeah. So, so I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully, the next few years is maybe more stable than the last few. But who knows? Yeah. Hopefully, your new new work goes well for you.
5: Appreciate it. Yeah. Hopefully, it'll uh, allow me to buy a house one day. We'll
6: see.
1: Can't hear to me. Yeah, ten. What's up? level
6: 10 10 you there <laughs> yeah i'm there i'm just having issues i can't hear timmy i was just trying to say that um i, I was always wondering without COVID, what would have uh, all these altcoins coins have done without people sitting at home so much you know this is also something that wasn't accounted for at all because you were just saying that the bitcoin price actually didn't go as let's say it doesn't look pretty that's what you basically said and I think a lot of liquidity went to altcoins and got sucked out of Bitcoin. So I mean, it yeah. is what it is, right? So, mm-hmm. to to what extent this would be related to that event that everyone was sitting at home and dabbling in NFTs and whatnot, right?
1: Yeah, that, that uh, who knows? Yeah, I mean, uh, clearly there's an impact there from the. From people playing on their computers, um, <laughs> I'm not sure. And there was also stimulus checks and all sorts of things that people threw money at everything.
6: I mean, for you, it's different, you know. You were busy as hell with your hospital and all these sick people all the time, right? But I mean, for other people, they were like literally sitting at home for two years or one and a half.
1: Like, yeah, those, my, I, I was homes. in the ex- I was in the exact field that would you know have the most crazy amount of work for that particular thing. So, yeah it was the opposite for me. <laughs> so it's like I made more as a, uh, I, I literally did exactly that, right? Pulmonary critical care. So like I, I made more income, but I had to do way more work for two solid years. Um, Then I, like not two solid, but a year and a half. Um, I made, a, yeah, did a lot more work than I would have normally. Um, So yeah, it, I, I had the, I and sort of you know had what, the benefit what, of that.
6: What I was actually kind of thinking the other day was, Imagine if this chat GPT and everything came out like one and a half years ago with all these people sitting at home, moving their mouses in front of the computer. So they attend the, (laughs) they're sitting there in the home office, right? And if they wrote all the silly (laughs) things that they had to do (laughs) with an AI back then, Jesus, would it have made a difference, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I saw some interesting messages from some computer science people lately. That if you like take GPT and you, um, you you could scale it down for you know only a few GPUs or um, much less processing power to domain domain specific tasks. Um, I think we're going to have just an explosion of like micro AIs that are specialty designed for every single task you can imagine that you use on a computer today, like. Um, I suspect there's just going to be just yeah, an and, and, absolute and explosion. Sefi, just think from another perspective. So there was a research
6: in, I don't know, a couple of years back, five years maybe. It was actually in the UK, in London. They put up posters. So you could go on a website. It's on the subway, right? There's everywhere. this advertisement. You could go on this website from the government, log in, and evaluate your own job. Basically, you're telling the, the guys that are doing this research is how much of redundant are you as a person right so that's the evaluation that it was what all boils down to is basically telling them okay i think that probably like i'm i'm just wasting my time like 30 percent or 40 percent of the time a lot of questions a structured research i never saw the outcome by the way i would have to dig it up i can't remember but i knew it was actually in this london subway the advertisements for this research project so Back then in the day they were already asking and they knew that so many people were just doing like what you tweeted the other day, right? Just just doing some silly thing for half an hour where it's just click, copy, paste, you know, it's like what the fuck I'm doing here, right? So I mean, imagine how much workload you can actually get done by a proper AI, right? Just this and multiply this by the population, it's amazing, you know.
1: Yeah, like some like some of the mundane tasks that we do. Like I was taking care of um Yeah, you correctly guessed that I was doing a mundane mundane task when I tweeted that, which which is even more funny. Um, You were able to analyze that uh, I was actually pissed at some stupid thing I was doing. I was like, I need AI for this. (laughs) But like, yeah, like simple accounting and bookkeeping tasks um, are very, very repetitive and like clearly obvious that, you know, like if you look at the process of what we're doing, um, if, if a AI could do all the button clicking, like even without, des- without redesigning the original software for the accounting program at all, if it could just copy what I'm doing, check my email, look for the invoice for this particular thing. And if there's no invoice there, go to the website for that company that invoiced me that, get me that invoice, take that, you know, uh, uh, save it with my other information on my um, accounting software or whatever. That process of like reconciliations or bookkeeping that any business typically does. That's something that like AI could easily uh, take care of, um, like with existing technology. Just one of the tweets that some one of the developers or or CEOs put out today was, "Well, the thing is, it's going to take a significant budget to sort of like tag the AI to get good at certain tasks. So once you get to the point where like maybe like you could train your own little bot." So, let's say you have a workflow at home and you you have, let's say some accounting stuff to do or bookkeeping or for your business or something. Um, once it has watched you do it sufficient enough times, like it could get pretty good at getting pretty close to where like it could put all the information together and even like have maybe even have you double check it and hit accept if you think everything looks right, right? So it's quite possible that we get to that stage. Um, relatively quickly. I can see why Microsoft wants to own half of the open AI uh, for this for this reason. But like that's the other thing, too, is like big tech companies are trying to get hold of all of this. So they can make all the money again. Um, so if that happens, then like mm, a significant portion of the very powerful AI is probably not going to be very democratized. And again, the richest companies are going to get richer. And um, it's not going to necessarily like make the average person any more money than they were making before. In fact, if anything, it's going to make the, the poor, poorer and the rich, richer, if anything, is my suspicion. Like, is, like there's no obvious indication that any of any of the AI related stuff necessarily um, like makes individual people more marketable or something like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, See but I'm more in common if you look at technical advantage,
6: advances in our society for the last hundred years you can't you can't, can make the point that rich got richer and the gap got wider but uh, the baseline is actually yeah. everyone's better off right everyone's better and, off no i agree with and, you and a, like as as long as we are there what's the point right what's the point to argue yeah, yeah. I and mean, if, no, if you're I... living longer if you're more safe whatever it yes. is what it gives to yes. you you know who who really can argue
1: against such a thing yeah relative wealth on the planet per capita is higher than it's ever been in human history kind of thing it's it's quite like you know, it's amazing how much uh, access to tech the average human being has today. So, yeah, I would generally agree, yes, the the the, the longer-term effect is no question that everyone's better off. But, yeah. yeah. shorter, you like, shorter so, term. We're
6: so well off, Sophie, that we had to build an app like Twitter so we can bitch about these little problems that we have nowadays. I think,
1: right? I think 10, <laughs> you can't hear when Timmy's speaking. I think you might have to go and come back. Cause, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. aside from, like wealth separation,
5: one thing, but what I'm most interested to see the result of from this AI stuff is everybody who's currently in like middle school through college, mainly middle school and high school, which here in America is, you know, like your your teenage years, basically. Um, and I consider college,
1: college now is basically high school 2.0 for most people. Yeah, but I'm like, I'm, I'm worried. Like, I, I know that if I had chat GPT,
5: I would use it for all my work like a hundred percent I of course I, when I was that age but where where does that leave you uh, as like like sure you do learn some stuff through that you have to learn how to interface with it. you probably read what it
1: writes which in some way is like a like, summary. but think about it this way to me like uh, imagine the first human beings who discovered how to use fire properly and all the other Neanderthals or whoever it was that didn't have that capability um, the effect is simply, um, absolutely like, mm, you know, a change for the ages. You're talking about a change that will affect the next hundred thousand years of human history. I agree. Um, so, it's so, that so, so, level. So I think the paradigm is that big. It's the invention of fire. Yeah. So there's no, no totally there's no invent- mental model that any of us can put together that will make us feel better about this necessarily. It's that big.
5: I totally agree. But in, in the size and scope and importance of it but i guess like the big difference that i think about and i'm worried is it'd be more analogous to if like a hundred years or so or a thousand years into humans having discovered fire some group uh discovered or invented something that made fire for them and they had no idea how it worked it just happened it was that'd be easier that would propagate and suddenly we wouldn't have the the path we now have of science where we understand
1: how fire works and what it does and like but think of think of this way Timmy. how many people do you think you encounter in your daily life that actually understand how their own brain works right like probably less than one percent uh really understand anything about neuroscience works how neurochemistry works how like the basics of memory work yeah but any right? so, from
5: other people understanding that
1: yeah so and i'm okay, worried we're heading toward the world where entire generations don't have that understanding for yeah, but some ge- but gen- generally right now like entire generations or most of the human race has no idea how the human brain works it's mm-hmm. a black box as far as most people are concerned which is why you can kind of like sell like you know you can sell people snake oil for almost anything yeah. in the human body as a doctor who's like, you know, I understand a snake oil salesman to the late to the lay people, <laughs> the human body, everything in it, how the heart works, the kidneys work, everything is just a black box. They're so like, oh, there's organs. They kind of do stuff. I think I learned a little bit about cells and in, in biology, you know, whatever. Right. So AI is going to be similar. It's just one more neural network. So I don't think we're going to the, the mass majority of human race, like nine, nine percent will not understand how AI neural networks work any more than they understand how the, their own neural network and their own head works. Um, no, but that's the problem, thing. right? Like that could be one contrary argument to what I'm saying.
5: It's like, okay, maybe they won't really be strong in linguistic skills or history or whatever because they can ask the AI, but but they'll understand how neural networks work. They'll understand, but no, I
1: agree with you. They won't. So so what are humans so, actually So think of it, it like think of it this way. Right now we have through Wikipedia um through any number of like um online resources. A substantial portion of the world's information at our fingertips, like, you know, even if all you did was memorize Wikipedia, which probably is impossible to do, but even if you could, it's there at your fingertips. And I would say probably still 99% of the human race doesn't use most of the information, including myself on the internet, right? So... The the thing about these tech things are is they have not necessarily made us automatically more smarter individually. Where AI is different, though, is when you have your own AI personal companions, like, in other words, your AI friend, and it knows you. It knows, like, what kind of information you want. It knows what your blind spots are because you tend not to ask those questions. It tends to know things like, I don't know, like um, maybe like maybe you don't have as good of memory. Uh, so, you know, repetition would help you a little bit or it's going to learn you. And the interesting thing where AI make might make us all much smarter than we were before is that unlike our dumb phone, which doesn't really like take the information on the Internet and insert it into our brain very well. I think the AI is going to be much, much better at teaching us from when we're very young uh, than a traditional teacher would be or even for that matter, our parents or somebody. Because the, the amount of time people spend with their devices and whatever is much, much higher than they spend with their own families a lot of the times. So what's going to, I think, be interesting about AI is there could be a human intelligence explosion as a result of this training effect. And I think that's, that's highly probable. So to the extent that you might not even need traditional schools the way that they're built today, traditional colleges the way they're built today, maybe the entire paradigm changes, like everything changes. That could be very interesting. So we'll see. I, but I think this idea of like the AI teacher—if um, you ever—if you have kids and you've used, utilized tutors and stuff like that, like we have um, for both of our kids uh, over many years, we've had them get access to whatever tutors they wanted for math, for English, whatever, more so than they do in their regular classes, and getting them ahead in almost every class that they they do. So that way, they go to school, they go and get a high grade. So um, that kind of idea where like you have access to education online um, has been somewhat successful. Like if you look at Khan Academy, which basically has like classes all the way up to college for free, almost nobody uses them. Like it's like very few people actually take those actual classes and very few students, even though there's an entirely free tutor there, like fully utilize that. Right. So yeah, the existence of AI is a little bit different in that the internet is like a big black box. It has a bunch of information in it, and most of us are not interfacing with most of it. I think AI is going to do an, a, perhaps a more interesting job of interfacing us with that info and making it like usable and at our fingertips on a moment's notice. Um, I think that's going to be a big, big shift. And, that, and you might find oh. that like overall, human beings come out better trained that way than how we're doing things now. Like That's quite possible. I do think that's definitely a possibility. I just also think the opposite is as well. Yeah, the dumbing down. Very interesting cool. thing about yeah. But the difference too, to me, is like AIs can be built such that like they're absolutely unforgiving of your bullshit too, right? So like if you think about it, an AI, you're going to know it's it's patronizing you in the sense that like you do something stupid and you know for sure it knows the right answer. And if it's just nice to you all the time, you're like, Hey, this thing is patronizing me. Uh, So it's going to be like one of those computerized version of you. Right. Yeah, Yeah. It's like this, it's like this echo chamber of you, unless you specifically dial it to, to improve you. So I think some people will use AI and they'll just dial it in a setting or use systems that like make them feel better about themselves. And there'll be other people that use it to challenge them. And I think that's the same as life now, like in many senses, like, I don't think all AI's would be the same in terms of how they interact with their user at the end of the day. I don't think there's going to be like a one model. Let's, that fits everybody There was one,
6: one thing we were talking the other day about, and I, I think I didn't make my point clear enough. It's just the important thing with AI is the data you feed is what it evaluates the facts on, right? So if the data you're feeding it is, let's say, in a way wrong, there's a mistake there. There's some samples in there that are not the truth or not the reality. It believes that to be the reality and will tell people bullshit. So the problem is preparing good data to feed the
1: AI, right? If you go for novels or whatever, you feed the whole stock yeah, of all the novels around. That's the first stage. The second stage, though, is where AI is um, the thing that is actually creating things. So AlphaFold would be an example of that to where reality itself gets defined by the AI. Yes, it but is, you have it is the of creator. rules, right? I mean, it sudden becomes of... the creator of the truth as opposed to the... Yeah, the but arc, still you feed, you feed it some rules it.
6: to abide by, right? I mean, it's like if it writes a novel, you also have... Um, the article goes before the nomen in the sentence, right? Some It some depends. Basic rules. And it's the same with molecules, right? I mean, if you put molecules yeah. together, there has to be some corresponding They've... electron count to, yes. to, to yes. work out, right? I mean, that's, You're that's saying
1: basically... that the, the AI has to follow the rules of physics at the end of the day, yes. Yeah, exactly,
6: right? And if you sure. have some bullshit going on there, it just produces a lot of rubbish and it goes for... I mean, just sure. the, the problem is if you have a little problem built in there, it, it screws up big things, right? So the, it's really difficult to build a system to be, let's say... And, and the problem in our actual research academia, there we have so much bullshit going on there. There's so much research paper there. Motivated by ideology, with some political or whatever motivation, that someone puts out some crap, and you want AI to parse through that and put up some some statements like "I believe this to be true" because <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, sure, it's going to be bad, you know. I mean, that's what I think. That's where we have a problem to overcome our own bullshit. You know, it's not the, uh, the AI but, that but that's this the problem. But
1: that's the thing. Like, I think you're going to wind up with as many diverse, um, diversely built AIs interacting with each other as we have. Diverse types of human beings. So, ultimately, they will fight amongst them. The, the AIs will fight amongst themselves. Yeah, let I hope or they call the out the bullshit. Yeah,
6: I really yeah. would appreciate that because there's way too much around. Especially now, in the last two years, you know, the amount of bullshit that's floating around, it's absolutely crazy. You know, I mean, in in so many yeah. different
1: sectors, you know, it, it just this is the signal to noise problem, right? This is the, yeah. one of the common problems in in, in sort of like. You know, just, I guess, physics and probabilistic science, and everything—it's like y- most of the world's information is noise. And only some of it is useful signal. The problem is like, what's a useful signal to you versus what's a useful signal to me are different. Um, so it's like these information systems um, are very complicated, like your, mm, I, I guess, fiction or bullshit could be my religion, right, like, you know, or, or my religion. Um, you know, could be based on your science. Like, so, so the whole thing is like just one big um, package. It's very hard to unwrap everything at any given moment. And the AI has one of the same problems human beings does, by the way. Like I've talked about this before. It's like it, it also has the problem of opportunity cost. So if it researches one thing with all of its computational power, it has to do so at the expense of not researching something else. So AIs must, by definition, have um, opportunity cost bias. Um, just like any sentient system would. Like, otherwise you have the paperclip optimizer model where like, you know, if um, if let's say finding the last digit of pi um, was not boring to an AI, then it's going to use all the world or all the universe's resources to find that. That's what they call a computron. It's a common like AI problem. So eventually what AIs will also realize is, hey, look, all these different ways I could use, you know, I could research a topic What's going to be the most effective way to research it? Is it going to be going down this route or is it going to be going down this route? The AI doesn't know for sure, right? So if there's like five possible ways to research a topic, um, let's say a protein folding problem, it has different choices it's going to have to make. It's going to have to either pick one and just go with it. It's going to have to do five simultaneous projects and hope one of them hits. It's going to have to do some mixture of those two things, right? But you see the problem? Um, the same problem that we have in science today, it's like, how do you know what's going to cure the next cancer? So if you want to cure ovarian cancer, is it best to go down the gene therapy route? Is it best to go down the sort of like, you know, which which route is going to be most fruitful? Nobody ever really knows, which is why it's hard to assign like funding for uh, cancer therapy because you don't know which project is worthwhile and which isn't, right? The ones that win out in the end, people like praise them going, oh, these, these guys invented the cure for ovarian cancer or something like that. But they didn't know ahead of time that they were going to do it. Maybe there were 10 other competing projects that didn't accomplish the same thing. But if everyone wasn't working on a piece of it and interacting and collaborating with the information coming out, then we wouldn't know as much, right? So science is a tricky thing. So even like government projects like NIH, National Institute of Health have a hard time figuring out exactly what to give money to. So what happens in those situations is they throw a little bit of money to everything. Like, is, is what it does. And you have to be fine with failing and you have to be fine with failing a lot of times. And this type of inter- iteration is something that like, yeah, AI has the same problems human beings have. So at the end of the day, like you'll find, oh, this stupid AI, it used 600 barrels, barrels of oil. And all it did was like, you know, you know, create um you know, like Dogecoin pictures, and it wasted all this time, effort and money and achieved nothing. Right? Like, so you could wind up with like perverse outcomes like that, where there's like, AIs can produce just as much bullshit as human beings can. And um, like, discovering what is the useful piece of that is going to be very difficult. So yeah, like, but all of that, I was wondering,
6: actually, the other day, just how long Open AI will have the services for free. Because it's just what you, what, you, what you just said. It's opportunity cost, right? It costs yeah.
4: a lot
1: of money to run all this computational power and people do all kinds of silly things. F- I think they'll probably give it away for free for a while because they have things possible funding of billions be, of like, dollars for Microsoft. going to
6: be some economical that have to, has, have to be made, right?
1: Well, they have billions and billions of funding for Microsoft's slush fund. So, um, th- you know, they, they have, you know, any number of possible suitors. Um, so burning money right now is just not a big deal for them at all. Like they'll, they'll find venture capital easily to you know, like invest in these kind of things. So yeah, now that they're kind of, you know, running strong and show a viable product. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. I think <clears throat> um, when like, you know, if you get down from like 10,000 GPUs and you can get focused systems with like, let's say 10 GPUs or less, um, like some people are describing, man, that could change everything. Like, like, I don't know, like anything you type on a computer gets affected pretty much, right? I mean, it, it, like in the broadest sense. So, for example, if I'm looking at a patient chart, for example, um, like, uh, so I'll give you an example. So, I had a lady. She came in because she was coughing up blood. Okay, all right, so what is the list of diseases that you can cough up blood with? It's really long, right? So you not everyone has all of those diseases. Um, then, you know, you could say, well, what's my list of diseases after I have gotten an x-ray and the x-ray is clear? Okay, that's a different list of diseases. What is the list of diseases left over if the person happens to be having a lot of fever and chills and night sweats? Well, that makes tuberculosis and some other things more likely, right? What if this is a smoker? then that makes another set of things more likely or less likely, right? It's a big probability thing, medicine. And, you know, the AI is going to be able to do things like um, ask people questions, like, by the way, Miss So-and-so, are you a smoker? She's like, yes. How many years have you smoked? "Uh, Maybe about 20 years. Okay, fine. Um, So then it's starting to look at probability of chance of cancer and everything. And then it's going to ask all sorts of questions that doctors probably miss, like well, have you been having physical weakness in the mornings you know, that might go along with Lambert-Eaton-Myasthenic Syndrome? Or are you having, um, you know, uh, uh, like have you been having fatigue or something? You can have a whole list of questions that are based on prior questions. Um, and that's just simple. Algorithms can do that. But when you have AI in the mix, you can do other things. Like it can start, it can analyze the prior history of this person's labs for the last three years and say, oh, look, there's a pattern here. Calcium levels have been a little high over the past three months compared to the last, you know, ten years, and that might indicate that you have metastatic cancer to the bone, causing your calcium levels to go up slightly. And this might be something that, like, a doctor might may or may not notice because it might be subtle. But AI is going to make a big difference in that it's going to take the totality of the information and, like, based on probabilities, going to be able to. Well, you refer- know what?
6: What I see bullish there is is uh, uh, cloud computing clusters where they basically, when you turn on your your terminal at your office right and you go into that browser window and you load up all these whatever documents you have right all the analysis from the whatever it is right um and they spool up these gpus just for for you these dedicated gpus at a centralized place um wherever it is in some server farm right It, it doesn't have to be specially built for your purpose it just has to be like Ten GPUs or, or twenty that work yeah, for you exactly. in this particular case. So I think there's a really bullish case in, in cloud computing because what you really want yep. to do, even for let's say opera, let's say for uh, energy consumption purposes, and and even to get the batteries smaller in cell phones, you want the computing power out of all these devices. You just transmit it, and it's just a dumb device that you have in your hand, basically a display unit, right?
1: Yeah, like right now, even like, let's say, for example, I'm in a patient chart. Like, let's say there's 10 radiology images, X chest X-rays, CT scans, etc. Like, to go read through all of those individually as a human being and make sure that you don't miss something that some radiologist said is a pain in the ass, like, and probably doesn't get done with a high degree of specificity. So, what would be nice is, like, you have your AI read all those X-rays and um, get a list of every single major finding that was in there, put that in a list, right? Like, Because it's just text reading, right? It can do it. It can do that human work and give you a list of, oh, this is a summary of what was found in that. And then you can click on the ones that you want to, that you care about. And then based on the ones that you've just clicked, it's going to list that in your notation, right? Like some of the paper chart work that we do in like individual chart research, not research as in like, I'm going to go and research like a medical journal or something like that, but simple stuff like, you know, like you have a 10-year medical history and, um, you know, I I can get some uh, information from that by just, you know, having the AI, you know, do some simple tasks, like find me all the diagnosis in these X-rays for the last 10 years that have been notable, right? Then I could use that information to say, oh, wait, I don't need to pull up every X-ray because all these are read as completely normal. Why would I want to dig through all those, right? and then image processing will allow it to do other things. Like, for example, um, let's say someone has pulmonary fibrosis, which is a disease that occurs over a period of years. Like, it can look at all prior films and say, "Well, prior images didn't show any evidence of fibrosis, and this year there is. Um, this is probably worth, you know, looking into, and um, can direct your attention to the important um, like problems that uh, you might miss. And if you're not a specialist, especially in medicine, right? If you're not a specialist in like pulmonary disease like I am and you're like a generalist, your both your time uh, to be able to dig through every image you've ever had and your expertise level to go through and sort of like clarify what that means may not be at a level where it makes sense for you to be doing that task. So an AI that discovers stuff like that for a non-specialist is very helpful, right? Because then that can say, oh, like, well, maybe… This looks like there's progressive fibrosis over a period of years. There's drugs, you know, profanidone and nintedanib that are available for this particular um, disease. And like, okay, maybe it's worth doing some further investigation of whether this is IPF or some other cause of fibrosis, blah, blah, blah. And then it can even ask patient questions, right? It sends a message to their phone and says, by the way, have you been working you know with asbestos or have you been uh, you know have you ever received chemotherapy have you ever received these particular types of drugs that um, you know can are known to cause fibrosis and maybe even look at the prior chart for the patient's you know history and say hey look um, for pulmonary fibrosis you know some people with certain types of chemotherapy certain types of drugs that could cause this and it found them by just going through the chart not necessarily with a database that's primed for this but just reading through the chart you know like and by knowing um, you know what kinds of things are related to this disease to then go ask the questions to the patient again and just have a feedback loop where you can hone down that data very quickly. I bet you, like that's going to be much much more effective than the average human being doing this. As someone who's done this for a long time, um, I think that it's going to be more comprehensive. It's going to um, lead to lots and lots of sort of earlier diagnosis and probably like less less situations where. Some kind of advertent or inadvertent mismanagement were to have occurred for some lack of information management. So, yeah, just like like I can see just simple integrations, um, you know, focused integrations. You don't need AI to do freaking everything in the world for you necessarily right now. But if you can have focused things like what I just described done and you can implement those, each one of those things gets implemented, saves all the world's doctors a lot of time right? It saves a lot of the patients a lot of time. It reduces costs because the amount of labor involved. Each one of those implementations is going to be a big difference. And you don't even have to invent any new drugs. You don't have to invent any new like therapies. If you can just reduce like errors, you can reduce um, like maximize the existing testing you're already doing by finding patterns. Um, it can really, really um, make uh, life more efficient for people um, in this manner. So like I, I think that's gonna be big like on the medicine side of things. I can see it in bookkeeping like we said before, where um you know you, like take a PDF for example. We normally can do OCR on it, right? Just optical character recognition and we can try to find data from like like a picture or a fax or something like that, right? Like some basic level information. But if you notice, like when you get invoices from different companies in your email, they're all different. There, are, Some of them come as PDFs, some of them come in HTML markup. Some of them come in, like, you know, they, they have their accounting done differently. Some of them, you know, have sales tax listed, et cetera, right? Those, that kind of information, and AI could base, really do a good job taking the OCR data and trying to put that together into a meaningful, uh, like, set of data that can be entered right into a database. Um, as opposed to what you get now, which is like individual invoices in these companies that are all like just like, you know PDFs and screenshots and other bullshit that like we're doing now, that can be taken care of quite readily when you combine OCR with like these tasks. And like bookkeepers uh, are going to f- immediately find that their jobs are easier and eventually find that bookkeep- bookkeeping jobs to a large extent are just disappear entirely, I think. Um, you don't even need AI for that to happen. Even like better you know, structured Steffi- – the there's, data there's, for too. this information like if everyone was the same in, like everyone had the same inv- invoices for example that would solve it too yeah you know right. so right. there's, there's, like actually,
6: there's, there's there's one thing that i always think about you know when i compare the the way that actually chinese bookkeeping works for most companies small medium companies it's really simple right they it's really very simplified. I mean, probably people in the West would laugh if they really knew how simple it was.
1: but China have does China have, does China have a, a unified standard for invoicing, or do they have like yes, uh, does the yes. government mandate a specific type of data? Format? See, the, the,
6: the way it works is basically you have a you have an invoice that basically creates a QR code uh, with the sales tax. So you have to deposit money with the government first, like a deposit for your sales tax. And anytime you write an invoice and you print out an invoice, it puts the QR code on that invoice. And it's already paid, right? So the, the system, oh. the tax system, yeah, they, uh, you know, they're like 10 years ahead of everyone else in, in this regard, right? So basically all you do is you scan this QR code with your mobile phone and it's in your bookkeeping. They're already that far, you know? I mean, that's just
1: a very simple thing. What I'm trying yeah, to figure is- Yeah, that should have been implemented, like something like that in the US should have been implemented a long time ago.
6: Yeah, it's, never get it done because of all the stupid legislation stuff and whatnot. Yeah, but the point is, it's very—it's a very thin system or a slick system to collect taxes, right? And the Chinese government—they make a lot of money because they figured out that it's very important not to waste a lot of money on collecting your taxes, right? They collect a shit lot of money with very few expenses.
1: Right? Mm, I was—I yeah, wasn't aware that China had already sort of like solved that problem.
6: Yeah, they are very very efficient. You know, for even for smaller business, like you own a small store, like a coffee shop example, they just look at your square meters and they give you a fixed flat rate tax based on your square meters They say, you just pay this amount of money. And that's it. You know, no questions asked. They don't give a shit of your expenses or whatnot. They just say, okay, you're in this location and you're probably making this much money. So you just pay this much. And that's it.
1: No questions yeah, so it's asked. Like more of a, is it more of a flat tax system than there, China?
6: For these small businesses, it's a flat tax, but for the larger businesses, when they, when you need invoices, you also, you, you know, if you want to take a credit or whatever, what you have to do with banking and whatnot, right? You have to have proper invoices where the sales tax is stated, and they also have different sales taxes for different products, and they're also refundable when you export the stuff, for example. So, uh, you have this system in place, but it's very efficient because it, it's all digitized already, right? So every invoice has this QR code on it and it's basically- Yeah,
1: ours, ours here for multiple domains like accounting, medicine, and a variety of other ones, they're very non-standardized. So it's a, it's quite messy and quite a lot of work from a bookkeeping perspective. Yeah. Um, so
6: yeah. the point I was making or trying to make is basically if you had an AI, right? Where you just throw all the crap that we are putting out at the moment because- to let's say to rebuild that system, it's going to take 20 years, you know, with all the complicated things that are built in by all the laws and everything it's not just going to happen in five years if you want to make it simple. But if you had an AI that basically could eat all that shit like it's like a, a big shredder where you put all these invoices and it comes up with a bigger. It tells you you have to pay that. Yeah, pension. it'll figure it's it like, out because think about how- it, you know, honestly, the way I it, do it.
1: <laughs> the way an AI would do it is like, so you take your chase, like, let's say you have your credit card account. Um, so you have, like, we have our, uh, like, you know, bank, de- uh, what do you call it? The um, statement, you have your credit card statement, you OCR those, or they, it just connects them via API to the particular banks, whatever then it can take that data and reconcile it with the invoices coming in by email and other things quite readily and connect all the, that information together, download the requisite documents, put them together into a singular file and have your, your tax work done. Um, that type of thing like prevents the need for having specific APIs. And that's a big thing about the way I've noticed how these AI systems work is that like it can eliminate the need for very, very complicated integrations and APIs that that traditionally have plagued sort of the computer world, right? Like, so for example, if I have a software that runs one business, like I have to wait till the company that uses, that does my accounting software to implement that, or I have to pay for custom integration to get that data to pull in automatically. Right now, there's no way for me to do it automatically. So we do a lot of manual work between payroll. We get manual work for taxes and we do manual work for like, um, the, the just like, just simply just getting the invoices from the various companies, all of this is a big, big, long process. It's quite frustrating. And, um, you know, so that, um, uh, like I, I see a huge like quickening in terms of improving that before waiting for all those companies to integrate. That's mentioned the integrations are expensive. Like some of the, the, um, integrations that we pay for, for like our business, um, connecting say our accounting software to, like our point of sale software and things like that. Some of them cost us a pretty good amount of money per month. Um, And the monthly subscription fees for those kinds of integrations tend to be high and they tend to break a lot too. So like one of the platforms, let's say the receiving or the other end, like they make a change to their platform, the API could break. And now like you're stuck with your business not working because the integration doesn't work. So these kinds of problems, like I think uh, the last 10 years have been very, very common. I think. so an, an AI method to 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 analyze accounting and bookkeeping data is what I'm really looking forward to quickly being implemented. i I'm yeah, sure They're gonna they're
6: gonna put up a fight. You know, it's like with these Ubers in in Europe, the the taxi drivers they put up a fight in the unions, and they couldn't get Uber to work in Europe because they they have a lobby there, right? And I think the same will happen to I mean, tax attorneys. Jesus Christ, they can make such such easy money, right? They they sit there, they have the dedicated software that put all your shits through. And probably they have it or a lot of stuff already in the background with that. You don't really know of how simple it is, you know, and they charge you a lot of money for basically just running some software and knowing which buttons to click. And it's not really I mean, if an AI does this job for you, right? For yeah, both, of in, both in both
1: <laughs> I would say both in medical and in accounting, both of these two fields that I like sort of understand well. I think the broader failure was the, like of all the different things that government's useful for and not useful for, one of the things that's useful for is like uh, creating certain standards. Like for example, TCPIP with the internet, right? Like so, you don't have like 16 different internets. Um, the, um, the benefit like would have been to create standards for all of those file types for common business practices. And the like inability to do so has made it so that sort of tech companies became like big doing that, like your turbo taxes, for example, or, you know, Quicken, QuickBooks, things like that. Whereas most of those processes would be very, very easy had there been standards put in place. You know, it could easily be done now. But, you know, a lot of the times the politicians are too stupid to understand these principles. Many of them are not business people or whatever, so they don't understand. And even when you have a business person in office, supposedly like a Trump or whatever, you saw no actual progress made in any of these kinds of simple stuff. Like and even if it was private industry doing it, not the government, like you know simple standards would have solved a lot of this and i see the same problem in medical as i do in uh, in in accounting kind of fields but yeah ai sort of like you know bridges that gap much quicker i think and probably will suggest how to build the actual apis like <laughs> the ai will like solve the problem by taking a complicated problem and saying hey this is stupid it needs to be done this way and it tells each of the companies exactly how it wants the information and um you yeah, know a good then,
6: starting yeah. point would be if if you if you had an ai that basically would advise the government on what standards they should put out, you know <laughs> right would really right. be helpful because once to, uh, once it, it starts analyzing
1: humanity. yeah once it starts analyzing behavior it doesn't take as long to develop like a standard set that okay this is what it appears people want to accomplish to do so these are the pieces of data this is how they should be organized and this is the new standard and use this and you'll be in good shape, right? So it's, it's more, it's just optimizations, um, which we do all the time. It's just, it's been really slow for some reason um, in the US. Like it's taken a decade and accounting and bookkeeping is still like stupid still. In 2022, like you're like curing all sorts of cancers and things, but you can't get this basic thing right. And it wastes tons of time every year. It's 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 kind of embarrassing actually. <laughs> like it's just the type of things that sometimes like we don't pay attention to that are very easy that don't get solved. Um, very interesting anyway. Well, um, I'm going to hop off guys. I've got to run here. Um, it was good catching up. Always fun brainstorming. Yeah. Have a nice day. All right, guys, we'll catch up later.
0: Thanks for checking out another episode of the ether. That was about the last two hours or so of a chepe space, Luna, Lunk, when moon, Request to speak, don't be afraid. Recorded on Friday, January 13th, 2023. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. When well, we blow through the dust, volcanoes erupt. No one ever guessed that the game would be tough. Keep a hands off when the play is a bust. Plain old unjust, just, so we keep it on the one, blast off on the two. Help me see the three. Third eye open wide, checking out the scene. Laser beam focused, star screen jokers, living off the fat of the people they approach. Tell me what happens when the land fights back with the cliffs at our backs. Make the last stand matter. No one ever planned for the famine on deck. We was walking all erect with a dead man swagger, sitting in a little den, vision in the middle. Man, listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty, then talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian, lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble bu- bu- billion. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian, lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble bu- bu- billion. Aint in a little den, vision in the middle men Listen to the fiddle man, play a little ditty then Talk about how, while the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze, trying to make the next b 1000000000 Talk about how, while the
6: leaders
0: seem reptilian Lost in the maze, trying to make the next b Tim Spaces